Welcome to Season 3 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Daniel Reynolds talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unbox Inspiration to Publication, Episode 59, Paint the Roses. Today, we are joined by Ben Goldman, a designer of North Star's Oceans and the designer of the Spotlight Painting or Paint the Roses. <laughs> I don't know why I always want to call it that. <laughs> well, you're a verb person. I guess so. Yeah. Thanks for joining me, Ben. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. All right. So for anyone who doesn't know you, how did you get into gaming? How did I get into gaming? Um, it's a fantastic question. So probably through uh, tabletop RPGs first. Um, or it was sort of like I started doing like board games, like very like your very like intros, sort of like Catan, Ticket to Ride, like sort of like, you know, getting just yeah. the toe in the water. And then when I went to college, I joined a, like a D&D type club, played a ton of that. And then that sort of led me into heavier board games. Um, and I'm sort of at this yeah. point just constantly doing both. <laughs> and then what brought you into design? Uh, so even before, like I was designing board games. I think this probably this is true of so many board games, uh, board game designers. Like when I was a kid, I have like just so many, like just games just drawn with pencil on paper and like quarters or the pieces. I just had, I just had tons of them. I was constantly making them as a kid. And I think it was like, um, probably it wasn't till my like junior or senior year of college where I had like a realization that like, that's like a thing that can be done as a job, you know, like it wasn't even on my radar yeah. as like a, an option. And then I was like, okay, I want to pursue that. That's so funny. Yeah. I didn't even realize it was an option until like 2018 or 2019. So yeah. you got me beat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It's so funny. All right. Well, then, for anyone who's not played your game, Paint the Roses, how nope. do you play that game? Uh, you play that game. Basically, you are you play as um, the gardeners working for the Queen of Hearts in uh, the Queen of Hearts garden, a la Alice in Wonderland. Uh, so you're all working cooperatively as the gardeners, and you're trying to plant the garden in a way that makes the queen happy because you want her to have a big, beautiful garden to stroll through doing her queenly stuff. Um However, the Queen of Hearts famously also really loves executions, and she will take any excuse that you give her to um, to uh, give you give you a, a haircut about a, a foot too short. Um, and Is so, that what we're calling beheading people nowadays? <laughs> just some bad haircuts. Just I think Sweeney Todd really, would like that. Just a really bad haircut. They took it way too short. Um, yeah, so she's going to try and she, she'll execute you if you give her a reason. So you're trying to fill her garden up with tiles and she has basically told each of the gardeners, um, a, a thing that she wants to see in her garden. And that's done through, um, uh, shrubs planted next to each other. Every tile has a shrub on it and the shrub has one of four shapes and one of four colors. And so she might say, I want to see yellow roses planted next to red roses uh and so you can't tell your teammates that but you want them to figure it out so every time someone plants a shrub you're going to put down little clue tokens on that new shrub to indicate like okay the queen likes some stuff that happened there and you're trying to through uh how you plant the garden 
uh, signal to your teammates what you've got on your card. And then guessing what's on those cards helps move you um, around the board, and the queen will be chasing after you the whole time. And if she ever catches you, then that's off with your heads. But if you fill the garden, then you live to garden another day. You got to love uh, the job security in that job. <laughs> oh, my God. Right. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. <laughs> so then what inspired this design? Was it always Alice in Wonderland themed? No, it was not always Alice in Wonderland. Um, uh, I had the idea for it in college or rather the problem that I wanted to solve in college. Um, I would give myself instead of, you know, like doing classwork like I should have been doing. Um I would give myself little design challenges, like board game design challenges, and I would be like, okay, here's the challenge, and within a week, I need a prototype that can be played. It doesn't have to be good, but it has to be able to like be played. Um, and so some of those challenges were like um, uh, a area control game with only nine spaces, or um, a game played on a Mobius strip, um, stuff like that. Uh, and so Paint the Roses came out of one of those challenges which was um, like it was a cooperative deduction game where you can talk to your teammates. Um, and this was sort of born out of a mix of Hanabi and then my own, like one of my strongest philosophies about board game design. Um, so one, I love Hanabi. It's a great game. However, Hanabi played at its most pure is a game where you don't you you definitely don't talk to anyone at the table, and you probably shouldn't even be allowed to look at them. Um, okay. So in Hanabi, you have it's a really cool mechanic. Your your hand of cards is facing out. Yeah. Um, so you have no idea what's in your hand, but your teammates do, and they can give you clues to your hand, and then you're trying to use those clues to play cards down correctly. Um, but at its core, it's an extremely non-social game because any any table talk any expression could give away a ton and uh whenever uh i'm designing a game the one of the first things i ask myself when i have a game concept is i ask myself would this be better as a video game and if the answer is yes then i stop immediately and i move on because huh. um, I want to be designing board games for now. If later I design video games, I've got a ton of ideas for that, right? Okay. Um, and I see the two strengths, because you have to design to your medium. I, I feel that strongly. The two strengths that board games have over video games is um, that there is a tactile element to board games and that there is a face-to-face -face social element to board games. And so... If, if I'm designing a game that isn't doing either of those things or isn't like focused on doing either of those things, then I either drop it or find a way to make it about one of those two things. That's so interesting. It makes sense, but I would have never like thought about all that. I mean, a lot of it happens naturally, right? Because you're designing board games, so you're already thinking in a board game-y way. Um, but... You know, there's a lot of uh, video games have so many great attributes that they have that board games don't. Um, and, and you just have to, you know, understand what what medium you're working with. 
No, for sure. And especially when you were talking about like the tactile and the components and stuff, like the part I found really cool about your game as soon as I opened it up was uh, how you have like the stacked on kind of like rose blossom petals that is a part of the mechanic of your game. Yeah, the, the, the queen getting taller and taller as she gets faster. Yeah, it's honestly terrifying. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's I a am, stressful game. Yeah, it is. It's not a comfy, <laughs> chill game. It is very no. much like high anxiety but like yeah, in a so it can good start way out. it depends <laughs> right because at the start of the game you're you're gaining you're you're getting away from the queen you start only six spaces ahead of the queen and usually you know in the middle of the game you'll be chilling you know you could be like 15 spaces ahead of her and then one wrong guess and now she's like oh now she's like seven spaces behind us <laughs> Yeah, but do you want to talk through the movement of the queen and like how you speed up and how she speeds up? Yeah. So um, one one thing I wanted to do with the game was in a lot of co-ops you have like difficulty settings, and I just really didn't want to do that. Um, this sort of is just come from my own bias against those, uh, just because like I'm like, what is the game? Which difficulty is the game that you designed? Right? Like. Like, which is the real version of this game. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want that. Uh, so instead, uh, the queen's... The, how aggressively the queen chases is a product of how fast the team is moving. So she's, like, rubber-banded. Um, she'll chase you faster if you're moving faster. And it's tuned such that regardless of the skill level of the group around the last few turns of the game, she will be catching up to you. Um, and, you know, with an extremely experienced group, she might be catching up to you as you round the corner of the of where you started. Like, she'll be catching up to you in the 50s. Uh, a very inexperienced group, she might be catching up to you at, like, you know, in the low 20s. Um, so, you know, that, that had to be, like, very carefully done math to try and make that situation true where she was rubber banded properly to chase both those two extremes in a way that well, that led to like a, a finish with high intensity. What player count would you say this game is best at? I like it at four and two. Interesting. Um, I like it at two if I'm playing with that person repeatedly. Um, so at two, it sort of fails the own challenge that I gave it which is where you can talk to each other. You just definitely can't at two. Um, you can talk after each clue is guessed. You can talk out like, oh, why did you put that there? Try and analyze, like figure out why they're making yeah. the choices they're making to get into their head. But what, if you play with one person enough, you can get like a little psychic about it. Um, and, and that it's just like a sort of like Zen like space you can get into. So like, um, I mean, two players is what it was tested at the most. My parents played this game uh, basically every, you know, like at least once every night for like two and a half years. Seriously? Seriously. Wow. It was like after like two months, I was like, I don't think they're just doing this because I'm their kid. I think they, they, they probably just really like playing this game. <laughs> yeah, no offense. Like my parents love me, but there's no way that would ever happen. Like my dad, the first game that he played that I made by like choice was her story and that was mm. just because like he got so excited to read the backs of the cards like literally got the game and just read through that's all cute. 120 cards but i could not see them playing that game every night that's yeah incredible. well papers is, a, is like a hard logic game and um they i mean both of them their their first job that they had they were both computer science professors 
Um, gotcha. So so they very much enjoy like sort of like the logic puzzle side of things. Um, and it, it sort of is like a way to like play a two player Sudoku in a way. Um, yeah, I could see that. And so if you know if the, if you're the type of person like you know Sudoku is like something you dig, then like Paint the Roses gives you sort of a multiplayer. It's like a similar. It's like a. It's not super similar, but it's a spatial puzzle that has that ticks some of the same like boxes in terms of the feel. Um, and then four players, I just think is the best balance of like how much random information comes out. And by that, I mean like. I don't know what is on your card, but the tile I play might accidentally satisfy your card and you might drop out cubes. Um, so at two players, that very rarely happens, right? Because there's only one other card other than your own. Um, and then at five players, it happens like nearly every turn, some random information hits the table. Um, and so for that reason, I think uh, four player is my favorite count if I'm playing with someone other than like basically like my mom or one of my brothers. Okay. Yeah. I've only played it at two player and we barely won. Like we were one away from getting our head chopped off, but it felt good. Like I was like, okay, we're like, we're in this together. Yeah. And it was funny. Cause like, I was like, Oh, okay. Like we did a good job. And then I found out how often people lose your game. And I was like, Oh mm-hmm. wow, we did like a really good job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think, there's a chance the game is like just a scotch too hard. I know that like with co-ops for me, if I beat a cooperative game on my first ever play, it just like kills the game for me. I'm just like, all right, like whatever I beat it. So I sort of wanted to tune it so that that would very rarely happen, but it's possible. I tuned it a scotch too difficult. I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've had a friend that's played like four or five times and has never won. Like they've, like she's gotten close with her group, but it's just never quite. There is a out. very good strategy guide online. Um, oh yeah. Uh, do you do show notes? I don't typically, right. but I well, can. Like, yeah, I, can send I, can, I can. I can send you a link. Cool. Um, so my, I, I wrote like a sort of like a listicle, like a, I think it's like five tips, like five quick tips to to get better at paint the roses. Um, and then my mom wrote like a an 11 page dissertation wow yeah <laughs> my mom is very into the game that uh, is amazing she went like full like like you know academic paper on it yeah like it start like it, it starts with like the um like okay what are like our core principles of like our goals when when we're playing this game and then how do we like look at the game through that framework to always be working towards those two core principles. Yeah, I know like me as a player, we initially were like, oh, we're going to start with the easy cards because you got your easier, you're meeting your mm-hmm. hard and stuff. And like at first like, oh, okay. But then we realized like we weren't moving fast enough. And then later on, we like had to balance out between the hard and the mediums to try to like figure it out and figure out like, could we afford to get our head cut off? <laughs> or yeah, to, like make strategy. a mistake here. So yeah, we definitely <laughs> had to keep counting ahead to be like, all right. If we fuck up right here, are we going to die? <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some strategy to which cards you take. So you're sort of opting into your difficulty per card. Easy cards um, uh, are only ever color. Uh, so you can sort of just ignore half of the attributes on these tiles. Um, so they're pretty easy to guess, but they only move you one or two spaces. Um, and then medium cards can include... there. The card will either be two colors or two shapes. Um, and so... You know, the matrix is 
20. There's 20 options on medium cards versus only 10 on easy cards. Um, but they'll move you two or three. And then hard cards can be any of the 36 possible combinations of shape and color. Um, and those will move you four or five. Um, but yeah, you need to like figure out how to what order to draw cards to like go to success. So like one clear way to get your head chopped off is to start really hot out the gate and then slow down. That's like a good way to lose is to is to start with hard cards and then like pump the brakes and switch to easier cards for for like the second half of the game. Interesting. Because yeah, the queen no, speeds did. up based off yeah. how fast you're going, right? So if you speed up the queen by moving really fast early and then slow down, then she doesn't slow down with you. <laughs> She'll keep going. So then how did you end up with the Alice in Wonderland theme? Yeah, so the it was a it was a quilting theme originally. There was no queen; it was a pure score chaser. Um, so like all the fun tension that the queen brings to the game is just like entirely gone. Just imagine the game without that. You're just score chasing. Um, huh. It's you know, it's still a fine game, but I don't think it's as fun. Yeah. Um, and then basically when I pitched it to North Star, uh, North Star was like, uh we're not even going to consider this unless you give it a theme that makes sense. Okay. They were just like, we're not going to do an abstract and quilting counts as an abstract, <laughs> which is fair. Um, uh, so I tried to be like, okay, what things have, what can I do where it's like things with two attributes? So I thought quilting, it was the color of the fabric and the um, pattern of the fabric. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, what could it be? What could it be? There's a, there are a few, a bunch of odd things. I was like, could it be like, you're like p- placing down like monsters and the monsters have like, you know, different, you know, mouths or different, you know, body shapes or whatever. Um, or I think it was hats. I think it was the type of monster and the type of hat they were wearing. It was like monster party. I think, I, I think I wanted to call it monster mash which is probably not even legal. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, eventually I settled on, on Alice in Wonderland. And then I didn't want to just like paint a theme on top of it. I wanted to really integrate it. Um, and so the queen was part of that integration and sort of me allowing the theme to influence the game led to, I would say, a pretty stark improvement in the game as a whole by the, the introduction of that sort of pressure mechanism. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. How did you start to like play test and develop it to where you were starting to add like making her taller by adding the like petals or the white rabbit? How did you start to add yeah. that kind of stuff? So actually the white rabbit was one of the last major changes because that was so the queen speeding up, that was there basically from the start of the queen. I have a bunch of like little like terrible 3D printed versions of like the best way to get that stack working that actually came very quickly it just felt like intuitively right that like this is a good way to both track her speed um and make her physically more imposing by having her be larger um the the tricky part was that the queen speeds up based on your movement and intuitively people wanted the queen to speed up based on her movement. Like the more intuitive rule is every time the queen hits, you know, when the queen gets to space 10, she speeds up. That's more intuitive than when the gardeners hit space 10, the queen speeds up. Yeah. Um, And so the rabbit was trying to be like, okay, the rabbit is always going to be in front. 
of everyone. And when the rabbit moves, then the queen speeds up. So it, so the trigger actually got moved by like adding an extra step. So it's when the rabbit moves, the queen speeds up. And the rabbit moves when basically anything gets to it. Um, so I, it's sort of like trying to rewire like why things are happening when. Um, yeah, because I think for a while it was just like a like a garden, like one of those like topiary archways that you would go under. Yeah, but people kept wanting to move the archway and trigger the queen speeding up when the queen went under the archway, not when the gardeners did. Gotcha. That's interesting reason, that adding an element like fix that in the brains. Yeah, and it didn't change the the rules of writing very much because it would still be like, all right, move the arch to the next spot. But I think because like, you know, the people are like, yes, rabbits just run away from whatever is coming at them in a way that uh, arches don't. Um, it, I think it just like intuitively fit a little better. Yeah. No, I mean, because I think of like the Alice in Wonderland cartoon growing up and how it was like, oh, we're going to be late. Like the rabbit is always looking at his watch and like always shooting ahead. And like, yeah, she's always chasing this freaking rabbit around. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think that's great. It's like a good way to like thematically tie that in to the mechanic. So the arch was cool the arch it was like a cool piece it was like sort of like a like one of those not it wasn't like as crazy as the everdell tree but it was like one of those sort of like constructed cardboard pieces that would be on the board it was a cool piece but i think that the the um the the white rabbit mini is also pretty cool and at what point did you decide to like have the little cubes that are giving that information as like your way of communication uh that was from the that was from like the very very start um, there was no version of the game that didn't have that. Um, the 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 first version of the game, which was like terrible, as any first version of a game will be, um, was this quilting game. Uh, the rules for that game was that everyone had a rule that contained two attributes of the of the quilt, either the color, you know, color, color, pattern, pattern, color, pattern. So like basically every card was a hard card. So imagine playing Paint the Roses like that. Um, and then, uh, order also mattered. So like if you had stripe red, you had to have, you had to be putting down, um, red, putting down a stripe wouldn't do it. Um, and so paint the roses also got rid of that, but whenever there was a match, everyone would put down cubes. Um, and there was still a set of, I think it was six at the time tiles from the tableau so like the core rules sort of came quickly but then it like it wasn't really a great game it was like a great puzzle yeah and then it was trying to find a way to be like okay how do we take like this cool puzzle and like make it into a cool game was like i you know sort of the whole challenge because the puzzle once i once i came up with the mechanism for the puzzle essentially the the only change that was made during development the only changes to the puzzle itself was the different the different degrees of difficulty of the puzzle and that um the order of the of the symbols on the card no longer mattered no that totally makes sense and so okay you, you went back to north star and you're like hey here's this new theme what do you think like did you make those adjustments to the game and then tell them or did you just go like here's my game that was the quilt but i wanted to do alice in wonderland like how did that conversation go uh, uh yeah so i was like i think i was basically like i think alice in wonderland works you'll be the gardeners in the queen of hearts garden um and you know it's, it'll be the it'll be uh 
topiary with the shapes of suits, which is you know fits the Wonderland theme, and then there will be four different colors of roses. Um, and then uh, it was during development. One of the um, people at North Star, Scott Wrencher, was like, "You got to put the queen in this." Basically, <laughs> he was like, "He's like, it's so weird to have this game taking place in the Queen's Garden and not put the queen in there." Um, and so that sort of suggestion, embracing that suggestion, is what led to the the queen actually being added in and and having her putting this pressure on the players. That's so cool. And then I know you had a bunch of like kind of guest designers work on different variations of the game. Like how did that end up coming into the picture? Yeah, so that was uh, we wanted uh, some expansion stuff. Um I think the the game itself is like basically endlessly replayable, but you know, yeah, mixing it up is always fun too. Having some like different modes. So basically, we reached out to uh, designers that we we are a fan of, and we're like, hey, do you want to play this game? And then uh, come up with like essentially like a tweak to the core rules of the puzzle that you think could make for an interesting change. Um, and so uh, they would play it. They would come back with like, I think the players should be having to do this in addition to the normal puzzle, or they should be having to do that in addition to the normal puzzle. And they would provide, you know, a list of suggestions. And then I was basically tasked with like, you know, polishing that up and making it, making it um, like smooth. Did you have a favorite? Uh, ooh, did I have a favorite? I, I like the Mad Hatter one quite a lot. Um, you're trying to... Uh, he wants, like, places to throw tea parties. And so you're trying to place um, sections in the garden. You want an empty tile, in the, an empty space in the garden surrounded by every color. Um, and then you put down a little, like, tea party. Um, and so on that one, the, the pressure is actually a lot about, like, you can fall behind, and then you're like, uh-oh, we're running out of empty spaces to have these tea parties. Um, basically, all of them are going to be like, you're going to play it once, you're going to lose horribly, and you're going to be like, okay, this is what we have to do differently. Like, that's how a lot of the, these expansions work, because you're playing the game sort of as you would play normal Paint the Roses, but with the different goals that the different expansion modules provide you like do really have to take a different strategic approach to the game that's so interesting who designed the mad hatter uh i think that was matthew o'malley who did that one let me double check i was wrong daryl andrews okay so daryl did it i'll have to i'll have to try that out then (laughs) that's so Um, cool matthew o'malley did another one that i like which is tweedledee and tweedledum where you're having to solve uh, two cards at once uh, and those cards also need to have like a certain thing like there has to be the two in cards common. have to be guessed at the same turn and there's some other thing that has to be true like maybe they share a color or they're of the same difficulty or you or the queen is on an odd space so you're having to like really manipulate um, the board um, and these hard challenges do come with uh, cards that basically give you little powers to make it um, to help you out because you know the challenges are making the game usually more difficult gotcha that's pretty cool though 
yeah, it was it was uh, really interesting to see um, like other game designers sort of like spins on 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 my game. Yeah, and I like that you did a thematic element to like all the names of these little. <laughs> yeah, you're choosing variations. one of the helper from Wonderland. Yeah, that is because really in cool. that one you're trying to break out. You're basically like, okay, this job sucks. <laughs> we're <laughs> every day we're getting, you know, we're getting real close to an execution. So you're trying to collect five keys to unlock the front gate and just leave, just get out. Yeah, I kind of wonder what like health insurance looks like for these guys, these gardeners, because so, it's like they <laughs> from a, they're from on the a, job or you're dead. <laughs> from like the uh, the canonical standpoint, from the original book, no one is executed ever. Um, she she orders a ton of executions and then storms off, and then the king pardons everyone immediately. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait, wait, wait! Mm-hmm. She's married, <laughs> like. Yeah, yeah, Queen Hearts is uh, the queen to a king who is a, a more meek individual and also, uh, I guess, cares for his staff a little more. Huh, yeah, uh, I never yeah, read the ev- books. <laughs> yep, yeah, everyone, everyone gets pardoned, um, just like immediately, once, once she has stormed off to go order the next execution. Oh my god, what an interesting couple's activity. <laughs> Right, like, I mean, it? I've had to apologize for exes at restaurants, but that's yep. totally different. Is that, is that couple's goals? I don't know. I don't know if that Probably is. Probably not. I wouldn't say Probably it's a goal. Not. I would say a goal to avoid, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And so, yeah, you've been working on this for a while. How long in total do you think it took from like that initial inspiration of kind of the puzzle mechanic to yeah. the game being out in people's hands? To being out in people's hands. It's going to be a, a number that is big. I think it's seven years however this is not seven years nine to five you know like it's seven years that had a big two-year gap of nothing while i just sort of ruminated on the problem um and then in 2017 i had a playable prototype that was called paint the roses and then it was published in uh 2022 that is so awesome and how is it doing right now I feel like I see it on like a ton of those like top 10 lists for 2022 yeah. and yeah, it's hitting uh, some top 10 lists. If the top 10 list is about co-ops, then it usually is higher up on that list. Um, but yeah, I think it's been doing pretty well. Um, and uh, I've been, you know, generally pretty happy with, with the response to it. That's awesome. Was there anything that got changed that you kind of wish had gone or like stayed the same? Is there anything that got changed that I wish? Uh, no, I think I think all of the changes that I made to it, I stand by. I, I imagine um, one thing I plan to do is um, write up uh, probably like a BGG blog post or something. Um, a year after its release uh, with like a retrospective of like what changes would I make now after it's been in the hands of the public for a year. Um, so I've already been thinking about like, okay, what could, what could be improved here? You know, cause as much <laughs> yeah. as you play test, it's not going to be close to like getting the feedback from the, you know, thousands of people who have played the game now. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I mean, that's why we have multiple editions of some of our favorite games. Right. Um, so, yeah, I've already been like, OK, how could I like, here's the thing. Here's a complaint that comes up a lot. How can I fix that? Here's here's an issue that people have. How can I fix that? Here's a rule that seems to be 
getting misread, you know, enough that I think it's significant. How can that be reworded or how could the rule be changed to be more intuitive? Stuff like that. Are you someone who like tracks those different comments on Board Game Geek and like looks through and actually adjusts that and makes like a spreadsheet? Or? I don't have a spreadsheet, but I it's more like by feel. Like it's like oh, I feel like I've seen this. I feel like I've seen this set a few times. Um, and like you know, I I've played the game enough to know, you know, like so. Like here's one thing that's definitely true for game designers to watch out for, probably especially for co-ops. Um, make the game easier than you think it should be by a little bit by a little bit uh because you get so good at your own game right and uh, just a new player is not going to have that expert experience they never will and so if the game is tuned for the expert experience then it's going to you know, not hit well for, for new players. Now, Paint the Roses has this thing that's making it so that the queen um, is less punishing against newer groups, which I think is a huge boon for it. But even then, I think, you know, maybe if the queen had started one or two spaces further back, you know, there might be more groups who feel like they got, like, a the experience out of it that they were looking for. If they weren't looking for, like, this is a game where you need to, like, really turn your brain on. And if you have you know, three brain farts, then you're probably gone. No, that makes sense. It's funny because, yeah, I was going to ask, like, if you had any advice for designers, but um, that's really good advice. Yeah. I, I Yeah, that's going to be true of, like, any like strategy games as well. I just think strategy games, um, you're playing against other players. So, like, if a new player is playing against a new player, neither of them are going to benefit from expert experience so the game will be like relatively close whereas with a co-op since it's against the game itself you need to be more careful about how you're tuning it no for sure uh do you have any other advice that you would give to designers beyond yeah. that uh, one more. I, mean, I mean one more <laughs> one uh, more it's the best piece of advice i think okay uh if you're designing a game you're gonna have lots of very cool ideas about that game right let's say hypothetical world you're doing like a uh like a dungeons and dragons y dungeon crawly type game right you might be like oh there should be this uh class that can do this thing and there should be this type of creature that can do this thing and this magic item right you're gonna have so many cool ideas and you need to like write those down somewhere and then figure out your core architecture <laughs> like figure out how everything in the game at the simplest level is going to interact with everything else at the game. And then you can figure out, okay, within this framework, how does a, an ice knife fit in, right? What could a goblin do within this framework that feels goblin-y rather than starting with what the ice knife does and with what the goblin does, because you're going to end up with a game that feels very disconnected from itself. Um, whereas if you start with the architecture and the framework and then sort of, place those things on top of that framework everything's going to feel more unified and you're going to have fewer like little weird hang-on rules that are going to confuse people no i like that i like when people kind of build in the mechanics or the characters that make sense intuitively yeah but it's tempting it's so tempting to like do the fun part first because the fun part is that right the fun part is not really like okay let's figure out the math and the architecture let's do all that um the fun part is like 
the skeleton, you know, will it throws his own bones at you, right? That's the fun part. <laughs> Having those ideas. Yep. So funny. And so, okay, for then the journey of the design of Paint the Roses, what was your favorite and least favorite experience? Ooh. My least favorite experience is people who are mean online. Oh no, are you no, getting bullied? No, I'm not getting bullied. <laughs> Do I need no, to beat someone up? <clears throat> I need no, it's it's people who who uh rate the game badly on BGG and don't leave a comment. Like if you're gonna be like this is a three, tell me why. <laughs> I can see that, yeah, no, and it's not constructive criticism. That's just like or, just did like, you even play the game? Or are you just yeah, like exactly. trying to get this well, like, like yeah, down? some people on BGG rate things a one if it's like something that they're interested in but haven't played yet. Wait, because I'm sorry, then they can, what? They, they can sort by games. They, they, they're like, okay, I'm reserving my one rating for games that I'm interested in but haven't played yet. That's how they wish list, basically. And, like, yeah, and then they can what? sort by one. They can look, okay, what are all the games I rated one to get that list? So if you're doing that, don't do that. Please stop doing that. That is just complete <laughs> madness, and God. I've never even heard of it, and that is bananas. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. But uh, I think my my least favorite part was probably sort of <laughs> grappling with my own hubris <laughs> like okay. in the design process eventually there was like a pill i had to swallow which was like i need to listen to people which is an important I, it might also be my favorite thing that happened just because i'm so glad that i got there um like it's if you like have this game and you're like, I have been designing this game for five years. You have played it once. Why should I listen to you? Right? Yeah. Like there's a real sort of feeling of that sometimes. And um and there there was uh for a long time in the game, note taking was like strictly illegal. Like, no, you cannot do that. You cannot write stuff down. And I was very stubborn about that. I was like it makes it, it just like it makes the game um, like too easy or it makes the game feel like a checklist or it slows the game down. Like I had so many reasons for why I didn't want it in there. But I think at the end, it's just like, I don't know, people wanted to take notes because they didn't want to play a memory game. Um, and, and it just took me a long time to get there. And, and after I was finally like, yeah, that's better. I was like, okay, why did I spend like six months fighting this? When, That's like, so funny. This is better. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, actually, uh, the like little kind of note taking pads of paper, I didn't really end up writing many notes. I kind of more just use it as a reference for like what are the possible combinations to just kind of mentally check off. But yeah, I'm sure everyone I, uses I do it think in people, their own way. I do think that people over note take because it's in the game, um, which is understandable. Like, the way that I take notes and the way that I think people should take notes is uh, basically don't write anything down um, until they drop some information out. And then you can cross-reference stuff against past turns. The only note sheet that I religiously use when playing the game is the um, the one that has the map of the garden. I, I very rigorously keep track of the entire turn order of the game. Uh, when players got new cards because if i'm keeping track of that then i don't need to every time a tile goes down cross off a bunch of stuff i can just once they do put something down i can then be like okay well they've had this tile since turn four so let's check turns five and four and then see if i can eliminate any of the options that their positive information gave me 
Okay. No, that's good. Good to know. Sweet. And so then unrelated to paint the roses, do you have any uh, projects that your fans might need to be looking out for? Yeah. Um, So I'm doing two things primarily right now that I'm excited about. Um, uh, One of them is actually not a board game, but it is um, a Dungeons and Dragons adventure module um, that I've been like (laughs) sort of crafting for for i think just over a year now um and i'm sort of approaching the the design of this as like okay i want to be doing this with my game my board game designer brain on and so it has lots of custom monsters um lots of unique mechanics in fights lots of unique mechanics in uh storytelling and travel like i'm really trying to be like how can i make the dungeons and dragons experience like feel more whole um so that it's 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 called vestige i do not know when it's going to come out as i don't with my other project either Uh, the other project is a board game it's another co-op um and in that one you play as a group of uh like sci-fi like rescue rangers essentially um and you get a SOS signal from a derelict vessel just sort of floating out in space, and they're non-responsive. So you need to board that ship and get to the... Uh, you're going to board at the back of the ship, and you need to move to the front of the ship to get to the bridge where you can recover the ship's log. Uh, you learn what actually transpired, and you get your mission. But up, you know, moving up through the ship, you're going to be facing... Uh, various sort of like sci-fi horror type events um and then when you get your mission you need to accomplish that and then get out it, it's sort of like 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 i'm i love betrayal and this has a lot of betrayal type elements in it like it's sort of start it started off a little bit as like let's do like sci-fi betrayal but then you know put my own sort of spin on on what's happening so those are the those are like the two personal projects that i'm working on very cool are they signed or are they just like projects that you're working on that's gonna so yeah uh sos is one where uh, that's the sci-fi one i'll eventually be looking to to sign to like get that signed the i don't i don't i think the the D adventure is just a pdf that i'm just gonna put out for free oh very cool I, I I don't believe in trying to sell a PDF. Like, yeah, <laughs> it'll just get shared. I I'm, I'm just gonna put it out for free. I'll share it so that someone else can't. Then you get the credit that I gave it out for free and I made it. <laughs> well, you know, it, in some sense, yes. Like, it means that like why pirate it from a different website if they can go to me, and then at least they're going to me. You know, like I can you know I can leverage that in a way that I can't if people are just like you know, sharing a Google doc. Like, Have you like looked into trying to pitch it to uh, Dungeons and Dragons or like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to work with Hasbro. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. um, uh, No, I, um, I very much just want, I don't, I don't want any sort of like, um, I I want it to feel fully mine. I want to have full creative control over it. Um, and so I'm going to be just, you know, I'll, you know, I'll put it up on like, you know, uh, what was it? Um, 
like drive through RPG or like some of these like yeah. places where you can just like sell sell the stuff and I'll just put it up as as a as a pay what you want. Cool. That's awesome. I can honestly say I don't think an RPG design will ever come from me because I haven't played enough of them first off and I have no idea how to write them. I could come up with ideas, mm-hmm. but I definitely couldn't write it. So that's awesome. Yeah, I mean I've I've run it. I I'm I'm running two groups of it right now. I ran a abridged version of it earlier. Like I want to like actually go through and like test it, and um, so I'm here you know, running it for these for my friends essentially who are the guinea pigs. And after a fight, I'm like, ah, oh, I should probably tune that down. Or like after like a social encounter, I'm like, mm, that character probably knew a little bit more than they should to keep the mystery interesting. Um, so my my lovely friends are are the guinea pigs for playtesting this. That is so nice. So you've got the parents that playtested paint the roses, and then you got your friends playtesting this. That's amazing. Yep. It sounds like you got a good community near you. Yep. Well, and then also you know like I I'm sort of like the uh, uh, not quite permanent DM, but like that's like among my friend group like. I get asked to run games, so I'm like, okay, I'll run a game, and it'll be a game that I feel like publishing. So, like, the only difference between this and the other homebrew stuff I've run is that I'm writing this one down. <laughs> I guess that's kind of like me with game nights, since I'm normally the only one willing to read a rule book. It's like, uh-huh. great, we're going to play whatever Danielle wants, because Danielle's the only one who's going to put in the effort to learn the game to teach it. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh. Well, awesome. Okay, so for my last question, I would love yep. to know if you could choose any game that you didn't design yourself, but you wish that like you had designed it, what game would it be? That would have to be Patchwork, which is this. It's a quilting game. So like, clearly at my heart, that's what I want to <laughs> yep. make. You know? Do you know how to quilt? Is that what's no, up? Like, not okay. not once in my life. So you um, want to, though. <laughs> I, yeah, clearly in my heart of hearts, quilting is my true passion. Um. Yeah, so this is a game uh, by Uwe Rosenberg, who's like just incredible, right? Yep. Where you are like competing against another player to, to you know, make your awesome quilt. Um, and it has just so many great elements to it. So like there's like a Tetrisy sort of like you're placing these quilt pieces, which are in different shapes, and you're trying to get them to fit on your board properly. And then the piece that you're picking has like some some drawbacks to it like how you know how far does it move you along the board um how big is it how awkward is the shape does it have any buttons on it and you're trying to like balance all these elements and then at the same time uh the the tile that you choose is going to um determine the available tiles for uh for your opponent and so that's another thing that you're trying to figure out like okay this one's really good for me but it gives them this tile, which I actually want, and I think they'll want it too. So if I take this one, then they'll get a shop not containing that tile, and my next shop will contain that tile. And and then it's all done in like a crazy simple rule book. Um, like there's, it's like the game has a tremendous amount of strategic depth while having a very low rule depth, which I think is, and it just like sort of. Oftentimes, my goal as a designer is to do that, to get that magic to happen. I completely agree. I love a short rule book that's intuitive, and it's more just like the decision space is where the strategy comes in, not necessarily the amount of different things you can do. Yeah. 
But yeah, no, you talking about patchwork just makes me want to buy it. I only have the roll and write one because someone gave it to me as a mm. gift, but I don't have the original two player. Yeah, I I think it's just like it. It's a just a really really tight little game that packs a ton of strategic depth. Well, that's amazing. Okay, well then, hey, thanks uh, for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 59, Paint the Roses. Ben, for anyone trying to find you online, where can you be found? Uh, Twitter is probably the best. That's just Benjamin Goldman, or at Benjamin Goldman. I got my own name, which is amazing. But it's honestly <laughs> impressive. There's, it's kind of hard to do that sometimes. Uh-huh. I got I got on early enough to get uh, Benjamin Goldman, but not early enough to get Ben Goldman. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I actually got my full name for my LinkedIn, so I'm still proud oh. of myself there. But um, don't find me on – I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, but I'm your host, but Danielle don't. Reynolds. Uh, and if you're looking <laughs> to find me on social media, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under Token Gamer, and that's spelled G-A-Y-M-E-R, because I'm punny and I think it's fun. That's very good. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Ben, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you for joining Danielle for another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. Join us next time.